evening, beautiful quarantined human beings. And welcome to another episode of Bad Form, the Bad Form, the Form of the Bad Bad Form. <laughs> so, we are joined tonight. The podcast. <laughs> now, let's first say what the podcast is about, just in case people want to opt out at this point before we sing more. Oh, see, I was going to say we could do the introductions and then do what this podcast is about. Uh, sure. You are here with the incredible, insightful, and irreverent Dr. Nana Fenta Rausch. Got it right on the second time, baby. <laughs> <laughs> And that giggly humanoid over there who's been trying to speak Korean all day is my friend Dimpo Mueti. Um, yes, uh, her language center is fried. She has... Uh, so fried. She's been trying to do tongue twisters in Korean. And um, yeah, let's see how it goes with switching back to the old English. English is a lot simpler to speak, but my God, is Korean tough. Anyway... Wait, that sentence didn't make sense. So statistically, yeah, exactly. it probably so. will not make much sense today. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's what I'm saying. Your language center is busted, buddy. I busted it wide open. So let's talk about this podcast and what it is that we do. Yes. So this is a podcast. Um, we initially always said that this was a podcast about dubious social interactions, a.k.a. things that people do that are a little bit... Uh, sort of faux pas or, you know, just not the kindest or the best way of being um, in society. Yeah, just like a little bit inappropriate. Or extremely inappropriate. Or painfully awkward stories. Sometimes we cover really sort of small fry things and other times we uh, cover really big fry things like femicide. Um but this week, Black Lives Matter. You're in luck. <laughs> <laughs> this week, we're taking it easy on the old society. Society. And we're going to talk about the, our favorite um, people to punch up at, celebrities. Ooh, yay, celebrities are <laughs> doing problematic things. Thanks, guys. Or is society doing society, doing society. Uh, fucked up things to celebrities. Um, but yeah, so on today's episode, me and Dickie's each fished out two stories from the interwebs mm-hmm. about, um, celebrity bad form, uh, particularly things that have come to the fore during, uh, the lockdown period of our lives. Yes. I'm super excited for this. My stories are quite cringy. Nanakis, are you going to kick us off with some... Celebrity, bad forum. Um, So I'm going to kick off, and this is actually, sorry, that was a bit of false advertising because this is quite a, it's quite a rough one, but it's about the recent footage that's resurfaced of Megan Fox from an interview she did in 2009. Um, And I've found my sources include The Cut, The Mary Sue, Deadline, YouTube, and Vanity Fair. And yeah, this is sort of, Megan Fox uh, and the world through a retrospective Me Too lens. Uh, So recently a a clip resurfaced um, of Megan Fox on a sort of a interview that she did with Jimmy Kimmel. And in this interview, 
Fox pretty much explained to Kimmel how she'd been sexualized in Hollywood as a teenager. And then Kimmel kind of just laughs and makes more sexual jokes at her. Um, but I actually watched this full interview, which is like, I don't know, 10 minutes or 15 minutes. And it starts with Jimmy Kimmel being like, so Megan, I heard that you wanted to be a cartoon, uh, like a cartoonist when you were a kid, like, really? And she's like, yeah, I really wanted to draw comics. And he's like, so what's your favorite comic? Like uh, challenging her to be like, oh, ha, ha, girls drawing comics, hilarious. Sexy girls drawing comics, even more hilarious. Um, and then she like kind of schools him about some really stupid comics that aren't that great. But um, <laughs> like uh. at least it wasn't just like, you know, Spider-Man or some shit. But yeah, she goes into like and talks really uh, eloquently about the comics that she likes. And then Jimmy Kimmel is like, so I, I heard, you know, you drew me a picture before you came here. And she hands him like a portrait <laughs> of him that she drew of him. That's like just like this big muscle man. And he's like, oh, thank you so much. I drew you a picture, too. Oh, no. And he hands her a piece of paper with him like this hairy monster gross thing like pretty much in bed having sex with a, a cartoon of megan fox with like his tongue dangling out of his mouth in her face None um, and she's just sort of like ha, 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 and the whole audience bursts out laughing no it way. surprises me that this part of the show is not the part that drew the the like the attention of the internet the part that people were upset about is the part where she talks about how when she was 15, she was an extra on Bad Boys 2. And Michael Bay, who had just met her then um, as an extra, and then later on, obviously, there, like, he uh, started casting her and stuff, which we'll get into a little bit more in a bit. Um, uh, he, <laughs> she showed up on set, or, like, she was dressed up before arriving on set in, like, an American bikini and a red cowboy hat and, like, six-inch red heels as a 15-year-old. She was in grade 10. And um, the casting person said, remember, Michael, you cannot put her at the bar uh, because she's underage. She can't hold a drink in this scene. And his response to that was to put her under, like, a waterfall where she would have to dance sexily while she was being splashed with water. And then Megan in this interview with Jimmy Kimmel says, and I feel like that's a microcosm of Michael Bay's mind. And Jimmy Kimmel says, I feel like that's a, a microcosm of everybody's mind. I mean, y'all can see this, the but the audience laughs. Like just cue, like canned laughter. Everyone's having a good time at the expense of Megan Fox. So that's, you know, like sort of... <laughs> I guess 11 years later, people looking at that were suddenly just like, holy shit, the whole world owes Megan Fox a huge apology. Yeah. Um, we done did her dirty. So dirty. Um, so that was, yeah, that was in 2003 that she did that, um, the role of an extra on Bad Boys 2. And then four years later, she was a cast in the Transformers uh, where apparently she had to wash Michael Bay's Ferrari in a bikini to get the part. She has later retracted that story. Um, Gee, I she, wonder why. It was, Could it be because it was a, Michael Bay destroyed her career? Yes. So 
yeah, so what happened was like in 2007, the Transformers 1 came out. And then in 2009, before the next Transformers came out, she did an interview with Entertainment Weekly where they asked her if she was still up for another, for a third Transformer movie. And she said, sure, I mean, I can't shit on this movie because it did give me a career and open all these doors for me. But I don't want to blow smoke up, up people's ass. People are well aware that this is not a movie about acting. And once you realize that, it becomes almost fun because you can be in the moment and go, all right, I know that when he calls action, I'm either going to be running or screaming or both. She's not wrong. And she added to that interview, he's like Napoleon and he wants to create this insane, infamous madman reputation. He wants to be like Hitler on his set. And so he is. He's a nightmare to work for. But when you get him away from the set and he's not in director mode, I kind of really enjoy his personality because he's so awkward, so hopelessly awkward. He has no social skills at all and it's endearing to watch. And in the series of interviews that she did as promotion for the movie, she also mentioned that she felt really unsafe on the set. <sighs> so at the time, people took her saying that she felt un unsafe on the sets as her feeling um, unsafe from the, um, the stunts that she had to do. But she never really specified in all of the interviews that I could find. She doesn't say she felt unsafe because of the stunts or she felt unsafe because of, um, you know, sort of the, the sexual, mis the sort of the misogyny on set. Mm. Um, so after this came out and there was a huge backlash against her, uh, everyone was sort of, you know, was like, how dare you call Michael Bay Hitler? And a bunch of his um, staff, people who worked on the movies, wrote this really fucked up letter. Um, and I'm just, I just highlighted a few of the most problematic bits. Um, so this is, this is an open letter to all Michael Bay fans. We are three crew members that have worked with Michael for the past 10 years, Right. Then they say, yes, Megan has great eyes, a tight stomach we spray with glycerin and awful silly Marilyn Monroe tattoos pl plastered on her arm that we cover up to keep the moms happy. Um, Oof, and then they, they compare there. her. <laughs> yes. Because like, not only is it just like super objectifying of her being like, she's this literal set of body parts. Mm. It's also like, oh, we've got to keep her tattoo because it's the moms, those other women will have a problem. Yes. <laughs> Those filthy moms stopping us from seeing her Marilyn Monroe tattoo. Marilyn Monroe tattoo. The mothers! <laughs> then, then, yeah, then they say that Sir Michael found the shy, inexperienced girl, plucked her out of total obscurity, giving her the biggest shot in a young actress's life. And then they... Um, Compare her to Angelina Jolie, but say, wait a minute, two of us worked with Angelina. Second thought, she's no Angelina. You see, Angelina is a professional. We know this quite intimately because... Gotta put those women against each other. Yeah. No, dude, this, is, this reads as like the most toxic, toxic soup <laughs> of like... So, okay, I'm just going to run through it. They call her dumb as a rock. This feels like the toxic masculinity of letters. <laughs> like, <laughs> dude it feels literally reading this it feels like what was that guy Romeo Rose oh yes it feels like oh. Romeo Rose could have authored this um, it very much gives me that sense 
Uh, in the next part, they say, Megan has the press fooled. When we read those magazines, we wish we worked with that woman. Megan knows how to work her smile for the press. Those writers should try being on set for two movies. Sadly, she never smiles. Oh, what the fuck? <laughs> how does she have emotions other than happiness and show her how, sm- how smile while she's pulling 18-hour days? How dare she? No. <laughs> Jesus Christ. When facing the press, Megan is the queen of talking trailer trash and posing like a porn star. And yes, we've had the unbearable time of watching her try to act on set. And yes, it's very cringeable. So maybe being a porn star in the future might be a good career option. But makeup beware. She has a paragraph tattooed on her backside, probably due to her rotten childhood. Easily another 45 minutes in the chair. This is the most horrific thing. I have read. Do you want to hear the worst bit? Is that this was published on Michael Bay's website. Jesus Christ. Like on his official website. I mean, I'm looking at one of the parts that you didn't, that you didn't, didn't highlight because there's so much horror in this letter. Mm, yes. And they're literally like Miss Fox pontificating yet again in some publication like she actually has something interesting to say blabbing her trash mouth about a director what the fuck whom we have grown to like us three male production staff we he's a good guy yeah we've never experienced these problems so clearly she must be lying because you know how women love to lie what the this whole thing is gross no dude it's crazy um, and, uh, so, and then later they say, Megan says that Transformers was an unsafe set. Come on, Megan. We know it's a bit more strenuous than, play, than the playground at the trailer park, but don't, you don't insult one of the very best stunt and physical effects teams in the business. Not one person got hurt. Uh, and yeah, just to end it off, Megan really is a thankless, classless, graceless, and shall we say unfriendly bitch. It's sad how fame can twist people, even sadder that young girls look up to her, if only they knew who they're really looking up to. Signed, Loyal Transformers Crew. I mean, like, this is, this, if this kind of thing had been written today, there would have been hell to pay. Yeah. I mean, people would have been up in arms. I mean, they're just like, we work to make her look good in every way and she's never appreciative of anyone's hard work. Never a thank you. How dare she not thank us for doing our job? She doesn't even smile. She doesn't say <laughs> hi to us. Because, you know, uh, she owes it to everyone to greet them. So then, um, yeah, so when they started shooting the, the second... Um, Oh, is this it? Yeah, the, the second Transformer movie. I don't know if that this timeline doesn't make sense, but Michael but no, this is I know when this is, because this is when, um, it's not after the second one, because she wasn't in the second one. I think this is when Michael Bay's Ninja Turtles came out, because she was in those. Oh, yes. Okay, but he pretty much just said, welcome back. I promise no alien robots will harm you in any way during the production of this motion picture. Please consult your physician when working under my direction because some side effects may can occur, such as mild dizziness, intense nausea, suicidal tendencies, depression, minor chest hair growth, random internal hemorrhaging, and inability to sleep. As some directors may be hazardous to your health, please consult your doctor to determine if this is right for you. 
um, which just seems like like really fucked up, right? It's like that suicidal is. tendencies. If you work with me, be warned. Consult your physician. Anyway. So it's so dismissive of why she would have felt unsafe. I think it's also wild that at yeah. no point sort of in the interview she originally did that they didn't ask, what do you mean when you say you feel unsafe? Because, I mean, now yeah. saying you feel unsafe somewhere makes sense and has a specific contents, context. Yeah. But obviously back then they were like, we're going to take this to mo- the most ridiculous place possible. And everyone just believe these guys yeah that that's the kind of unsafe she was talking about so yeah off the back of all of these comments and like her her kind of coming across as this sort of like ungrateful little bitch in the media um her movie jennifer's body which she did with diablo cody um which later was seen as sort of this cult feminist classic movie and like you know women love it in 2020 really bombed at the box office because they sold it as a Megan Fox's sexy movie. Like the people who cut the trailer and stuff really made it seem like just the movie about how Megan Fox is hot. Um, And so it did really badly uh, because of, you know, all of his fans were just sort of like, don't you dare say anything mean about Michael Bay. He's the greatest filmmaker of all time. Um, I always when I think of Michael Bay, I just think of movies with Mikey who just talk about teal and orange, teal and orange, teal and orange. <laughs> <laughs> Every single one of his compositions are teal and orange. That's how you make an action movie. Teal um, and orange, yeah. Anyway, so then in 2011, Shia LaBeouf, who they interviewed about M- Megan, uh, spoke out and said, that he believed that Bay's filming demands weren't in line with Fox's perception on how females should be treated and that the director lacked the tact to be compassionate about it. So this is a quote by Shia who says, Megan developed the Spice Girl strength, this woman empowerment stuff that made her feel awkward about her involvement with Michael, who some people think is a very lascivious, 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 I think it's lascivious. Lascivious filmmaker, the way he films women. Mike films women in a way that appeals to a 16-year-old sexuality. It's summer. It's Michael's style. Teal and orange, teal and orange. Teal and orange. (laughs) (laughs) And I think she never got comfortable with it. This is a girl who was taken from complete obscurity and placed in a sex-driven role in front of the whole world, told she was the sexiest woman in America, and she had a hard time accepting it. When Mike would ask her to do specific things, there was no time for fluffy talk. We're on the run, and the one thing Mike lacks is tech. There's no time for, I would like you to just arch your back 70 degrees. And then so in 2018, when all of the Me Too stuff was going on, uh, they asked Megan Fox, you know, like, don't, I'm sure you have some stories to tell. And she said, I feel like I was sort of out and in front of the Me Too movement before the Me Too movement happening. I was speaking out and saying, hey, these things are happening to me and they're not okay. And everyone was like, oh, well, fuck you. We don't care. You deserve it. Because everyone talked about how you looked or how you dressed or the jokes you made. What is supporting other females if there's only certain ones of us we support? If I have to be an academic or I have to be non-threatening to you in some way, why can't I be a part of the group as well? And then the, they asked her why she didn't jump in with her own Me Too stories. And she said, I just didn't think based on how I'd been received by people and by feminists that I would be a sympathetic victim. I thought if ever there was time where the world would agree that it's appropriate to victim shame someone, it would be when I come forward with my story. 
that's like the most, that's one of the most heartbreaking things to read, right? Is to know that she feels so alienated from a movement that's meant to uplift and support her. No, and protect, you know, like during that first interview, you watch her and she's like 21, 22. Mm. She's this baby, baby little angel, like sitting across from Jimmy Kimmel, who's pretty much going like, I want to fuck you, you know, with his stupid little picture. And the crowd's laughing. Everyone's just having a big lull about it. I mean, it's crazy to think. I mean, it's also terrifying to think two things, right? One, that that was 11 years ago. Yeah. And two, man, we old. <laughs> We're so old. <laughs> Did you know that people who were born after The Matrix came out are like finishing university now? That's madness. Yeah. They should still be five. They should not be born. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I have not watched The Matrix. Let's skip over that part. Yeah, let's not, let's not go to the painful <laughs> part of our friendship. <laughs> Um, uh, but secondly, how quickly things can change, right? Because within a decade, yeah, that kind of behavior or reaction to a story like this would cause huge amounts of fury, which is somewhat heartening, but it still feels like yeah. it's one of those things that's like a little too late, you know? Like mm-hmm. she was, I mean, I remember seeing some interviews with her. I was like, she's saying a lot of like legit feminist, intelligent stuff, calling out how she's treated as a human being and everyone's just laughing at her and calling her a bitch. And it's kind of awful. And kind of, by kind of, I mean, like, it's fucking awful. That's really bad. It was so bad. Yeah. No, I just, uh, this last, so when, when this stuff came out, she made a public statement and just said sort of like, um... Yeah, please hear me when I thank you for your support, but these specific instances were inconsequential in a long and arduous journey along which I have endured some genuinely harrowing experiences in a ruthlessly misogynistic industry. There are many names that deserve to be going viral in cancel culture right now, but they are safely stored in the fragmented recesses of my heart. Anyway, so that's... uh she writes fucking beautifully, though. Yeah, that's my um. Everybody gotta apologize to Megan Fox story. That's an our bad as society. Like that society. is society. <laughs> society. We live in a society. It really makes whose fault is it, Dimple? Society. Society. Okay, no, do you want to tell me a, a bit about, about J. Cole, which I feel like, um, no, that your other story was sort of, I guess, clo- more closely related to this one. Yeah, the other story is more closely related to this one. So I can, so I can do the Lana Del Rey story because then I feel like, it f- no, we'll leave Lana for last. Let's okay. leave Lana Thematically, for last. I guess it kind of so, links up later. We'll get back to this. It does, it does. It, 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 it becomes a full circle. We'll circle back. <laughs> so let me tell you about J. Cole. So J. Cole is this rapper who's usually seen as quite uh, progressive in his raps. He talks a lot about like racism and the struggles of being black and is a genuinely good rapper. Like I've listened to some of his songs and they're great. I feel like you can't go racism. You have to go racism. Racism. <laughs> 
Anyway, like sorry for interrupting you. <laughs> um, so he he wrote the song called Snow on the Bluff, which is which addresses the current protests around racism and police, police brutality across the world and sort of speaks to J. Cole's own feelings of insecurity around how much activism he's done. Mm-hmm. Now, he could have, in the song, just spoken about that those insecurities and that struggle. Instead, he decides to spend like half of the song dragging an unnamed woman, which is most likely another female rapper called No Name, who's incredible. Mm, yeah. Um, and it's just, and we're just like, why are you spending this half the song dragging this black woman who is an active activist in the spaces, right? And so he's like, when people point out, oh no, this is David Lee, you're talking about No Name. He's like, oh, I stand behind every word that I dropped last night and some assume to know who the song is about and that's fine, but it's not my job to tell anybody what to think or feel about the work. I accept all conversation and criticisms, but let me take this moment to say follow no name. I love and honor as a leader in these times. She has done and is doing and re- the reading and listening and the learning on the path that she truly believes is the re- correct one for our people. Meanwhile, a nigga like me just be rapping, which is kind of fine. But literally mm. half the song is just dragging no name. So listen to some do of the Do you have rhymes. some of the lyrics? Yeah. I do. She mad at the celebrities. Loki, I be thinking she talking about me. Now I ain't no dummy to think I'm above criticism. So when I see something that's valid, I listen. But shit, it's something about the queen tone that's bothering me. It's like he's talking about. So he is talking about a tweet of hers where she's like, where she called out top-selling rappers who haven't used their platform to show support for Black Lives Matter. So then he goes, mm-hmm. uh, No Name had parents that know about the struggle for the liberation, but No Name herself had to read more about activism, activism and capitalism after being dragged by Twitter last year. He then suggests that she treat people like children, and instead of calling them out, he, that you know she should look inward and she should be kinder about how she talks about people and like tries to teach people about racism. So it's very much that tone policing of like, oh, I would really listen to this woman and do more activism. But she like, she wasn't nice, guys. She didn't ask me nicely. She doesn't have the right tone about you know? it. Yeah. Instead, she's calling me out on things that I did mm. instead of just like, Forgiving me and spoon feeding me all the information I need. Fucking J. Cole, man. Why you gotta be such? It was it was very disappointing. J. Cole made me so sad. But on the upside, Chance the rapper, yes, who isn't a kind of okay rapper turned slightly like <laughs> he was described as like a camp counselor trying to create peace. Yeah. And they were like, he, he so Chance the Rapper says, and I had to include this tweet because it was great. Yet another L for men masking patriarchy and gaslighting as constructive quit- criticisms. <laughs> and I was just like, yes. I'm like, yes, King, hmm. tell them. They, um, he's like, they're both my peoples, but only one of them put out a whole song talking about how others 
need to reconsider their tone and attitude in order to save the world. It's not constructive and undermines all the work No Name has done. It's not black women's job to spoon feed us. We groan. Aww. I was like, yes. Chance. Tell J. Cole. <laughs> yes, Chance. <laughs> Tell him. Yeah. Um, and then No Name released her own song, uh, which is like a direct reaction or like a, a like a direct rebuffing of yeah. the song of snow on the bluff where she says i saw a demon on my shoulder it's looking like the patriarchy i guess the ego hurt now it's time to get to work wow look at him go he really about to write about me when the world is in smokes yeah. so yeah j cole decided to tell like during a pandemic and black lives matter a woman that she needed to teach him so that he could be a better activist as opposed to him just doing the work himself Yo. about an issue he knows is already a thing. No, because he didn't like her tone. She must do it nicely or not do it at all. Do it nicely or not at all. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that is Bad the rule. Form. That is the rule for any kind of protest or mass action. Things will not change if you're not nice about it. That if history has taught us anything. Exactly. I was just about to say. Because, like, obviously to end apartheid, Mandela just, like, knocked on FW de Klerk's door and was like, how's it? Could you please stop violently oppressing my people? And FW was like, wow, you, you were so polite and so nice. Of course I'm going to stop oppressing your people. And then apartheid ended. Yes. Don't you remember when all those really nice colonizers arrived at the, at the shores of the New World? Mm. <laughs> and then the, the Native Americans were like, Lovely hey, people. They were so nice. <laughs> and the Native Americans were like, hey, could you stop murdering us? And then they were like, sure, here's a reservation. Kay. And sure. racism was solved forever. Exactly. I don't know why people are up in arms so much. They just need to write a few notes. Thank just you. Just a few notes letters to Thank each other. Letters. Yeah. Yes. And then it's all fine. Be very nice. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. Anyway, bringing Good us times. back to uh, the nice world, um, this section I've titled Kylie Jenner isn't a billionaire. <laughs> and my, <laughs> uh, my sources are Forbes and Reuters. So Forbes magazine last year in March declared reality TV star Kylie Jenner uh, the world's youngest self-made billionaire. Um, but then a few weeks ago, during the global pandemic, uh, they said that it no longer believed that her net worth was that much. In an article that was published on Forbes titled Kylie Jenner's Web of Lies. <laughs> <laughs> but can we just pause for a second? Because I think I remember when she was first announced as a self-made billionaire and everyone was like, self-made. But she came from so much money. Like she inherited millions, yeah. and like her whole family was on a TV think show. Of Donald Trump as being like a self-made <laughs> man, and it's like, yeah, because his papa gave him a million dollars when he was eighteen. <laughs> oh, it was even more. It was like four hundred million dollars, and like, I just, I think self-made means something different in the United States. That's what I've just come to accept. It doesn't mean the same thing. <laughs> it means it you doesn't mean the same thing in the rest of the it world. It does not. It means you've inherited like a portion of your family's large, obscene wealth, but not all of it. Therefore, anything you make above the like tens of millions or hundreds of millions you've inherited makes you self-made. I think that's how it works in America. 
You just have to inherit yeah. it and then you can make it even more yourself. I mean, but what if she had 999 million and then she made 1 million herself? Would they have been like self made billionaire, billionaire baby? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I just imagine one of those, you know, like those um, equality and equity like things where the people stand on the ladders next to the wall. Anyway. Yes. <laughs> and Kylie like Jenner is already like way above the tree where the apples are growing. <laughs> and yeah. that person's like, yeah, I made it up to this tree myself. And everyone's like, yeah, you did. <laughs> yeah. On the shoulders of Chris Jenner. Um <laughs> Anyway, anyway, so <laughs> what had happened was that, um, so at the time, and in this article by Forbes, they explain that um, after Kim Kardashian got her billionaire status in the magazine, um, they, the, the Chris Jenner immediately said, like, listen, we need to get Kylie a cover. We need to get Kylie a cover. And so they kept bringing all of these, like, um, her like tax return things to Forbes where it was like, look here in this review, it shows that she uh, was taxed on like $360 million um, and that the next year her profits had gone up by 40%. Um, and then the, you know, it had gone up more in 2019. Um, so, you know, she technically now is a billionaire. That's her worth because uh, Coty had just bought 51% of the company for how much did they pay? I think they, they bought half of the company for half a billion. So then they said, okay, well, then obviously Kylie is now a billionaire because she just made another 500 million rand or oh, 500 million dollars. Oh my God. But then according to Coty, when they like saw what their <laughs> what their sales figures were for 2019 they only did a hundred million dollars in revenue <sighs> and they said that the previous year they they realized that like it couldn't have just dropped off you know by like that much it couldn't only have made 30 percent of what it had previously made because their production had increased and stuff and then they realized that she had been lying she had been inflating Oh my um, God. How much, how much she had been making. And the filing show the line is actually on track to finish the year with just $25 million in sales. Um, I think everybody was surprised, said Wissink, the Jefferies analyst who was on the call. The negative that came out of that announcement was that the business was a lot smaller than everyone had expected. So much smaller, in fact, that there's virtually no way the numbers the Jenners were peddling in earlier years could be true either. If Kylie Cosmetics did $125 million in sales in 2018, how could it have done $307 million in 2016 as the company's supposed tax return state? And then after the sale, Cody's share price has fallen with more than 60% since the deal has struck. And even better performing competitors like Ultra Beauty and Estee Lauder are still down single digits. Add to that the fact that, that Wall Street tends to think Cody paid too much to begin with, and there is no way to realistically pay Kylie's network, net worth above a billion, despite her massive cash out. And then Forbes readjusted her worth, and they said Forbes now estimates the net worth of Jenner, 22, at around $900 billion. 
That's wild. Can we also just talk about dollars, how, right? like, they were going, like, yeah, it's, you know, it's a smaller company only making, like, $120 million. Uh, yeah. Do Americans not yeah. know what a small business is? I will. Neither. But, like, Mm-mm. also, how, how awkward is this that they, like, sent in falsified tax filings to try and convince also, the like, world that she's a billionaire? It seems pretty fucking petty of Forbes to be like, she's not a billionaire. She only has $900 million. (laughs) I'm going to just have a quick sip of my wine. Kylie Jenner's web of lies. (laughs) But also, do you remember, do you remember the point where there was like that petition to try and like get Kylie Jenner the money she needed to become officially a billionaire. I this was know. like a while back where she was like, where they, where they alleged that she was like a couple of million off and everyone's like, oh, let's give all our money to Kylie Jenner, who's almost a billionaire, so that she can actually be a billionaire. And that, that was at that po- point I was like, mm, capitalism is garbage. No, it is so garbage. Nobody should be allowed to be a billionaire. Like nobody. Nobody. It's not supposed to happen. Once you hit a billion, everything above that you give you give back. I saw I saw a tweet that said like once you hit nine hundred and ninety nine million dollars, you get a plaque that says you won capitalism and like a bunch of dog parks named after you. <laughs> <laughs> sounds I was like, right. yeah, that sounds perfect. Yeah. There's no way you're gonna like burn through a billion dollars, even if you tried. Like, it would take an active effort to spend all that money. I was just getting that vision of you again in your fur coat with, like, like diamond, <laughs> diamond-encrusted hair. <laughs> really big sunglasses and, like, a very expensive cat. <laughs> but also one of those, like, backpacks is, like, really fancy backpacks but you, for cats. Yes, yeah, with the so with this see-through bubble in it. Yes, so that I can take Robin every with, with me, you know, because I'm so, like, rich that I can be like, what do you mean I can't bring my cat into this restaurant? I'll just buy it. I'll buy this restaurant. Yes. Here's a, here's a million rand. Boom. And you're on one of those, like, you're, like, living that, like, Instagram life where you're, like, on a barge traveling down all of the rivers in the U.S. or something. But it's, like, yes. one of those luxury barges. <laughs> and you have, like, Alexander Skarsgård as your lover or something. That's what a billion dollars buys you. Yes. And also, I, I do those cringy Instagram posts where I put the money to my ear and I'm, like, talking to my money. <laughs> Hello? New barge. Who dis? Uh, that joke isn't funny isn't is it anymore it's 2020 fuck i'm old anyway we're so do you want to talk about another Um, oldie (laughs) shame she's not that old how old is lana del rey she's in her 30s i think she's like she's our she's our contemporary if i'm not mistaken let me see yes she is a year older than i am Okay, anyway, continue. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> I need to stop thinking about age as a contest. <laughs> age is nothing but how old you are, okay? Age is nothing but the ultimate contest between human beings. <laughs> it starts in and childhood. And the older you get, the more you're winning. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Okay. So one day, one day. Yes. Long, long, not so long ago. Not so long ago. Just one day, one day. Well, we were all minding our business, having quarantine meltdowns. Lana Del Rey, for no reason, was just like, 
Okay, I'm, so I'm going to read an Instagram post yeah. because there's a lot to disseminate. Mm. Let me use a big word here. To disseminate in the problematic Insta posts that she, that she made. I don't know if you're using disseminate so, in the right context there. Disseminate I am. is I'm going to be disseminating information, oh, information from okay, yes, correct. From 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 her her. her Sorry, post. I didn't mean to Jay call you there. <laughs> <laughs> I ten out of ten believe that we need to start using Jay call like this. Thank you, Nana. Mm. Once again, that Fenter around that Doctor Fenterash brain <laughs> does magic. <laughs> so, <laughs> post starts. Now, a question, a question for the culture. Now that Doja Cat, Ariana, Camilla, Cardi B, Kalani, and Nicki Minaj and Beyonce have had number ones with songs about being sexy, wearing no clothes, fucking, cheating, etc. Can I please go back to singing about being embodied, feeling beautiful by being in love, even if the relationship is not perfect or dancing for money or whatever I want without being crucified or saying that I'm glamorizing abuse? How many question marks? One, two, three, four, five, six question marks at the end of that sentence. Glamorizing Abuse? Six. Like that. That's hard. <laughs> <laughs> then she goes, I'm fed up with female writers and alt singers saying that I glamorize abuse when in reality, I'm just a glamorous person singing about the realities of what are all of what we are all seeing. Very prevalent emotional abusive relationships all over the world. With all of the topics women are finally allowed to explore, I just want to say over the last 10 years, I think it's pathetic that my minor lyrical exploration detailing my sometimes submissive or passive roles in my relationships have often made people say, I've set women back hundreds of years. Let this be clear. I'm not a feminist. I'm not not a feminist. But there has to, oh, thank you. I'm not not a feminist, but there has to be a place in feminism for women who look and act like me. The kind of woman who says no, but men hear yes. The kind of woman who are slated mercilessly for being their authentic, delicate selves. The kind of woman who get their own, who get their own stories and voices taken away from them by stronger women or men who hate women. So before we go on mm-hmm. to the rest you're, of this disaster. Yeah, there's a lot to disseminate here, if you are correct, comrade. <laughs> so much dissemination <laughs> okay so i haven't listened to enough of her music to say whether or not she's glamorizing abuse right so i'm gonna put that to the side because i don't want to feel like i'm misrepresenting lana del rey maybe she does maybe she doesn't i don't know um but i do have to ask her why did she feel the need to name one two three four five six women of color and one woman who is often mistaken for a woman of color to call them out. Why did she put their names in her mouth? No, and also it's one of those stupid things where it's like, do you, do you understand that all of these women have been called out forever? Yes, exactly. <laughs> and slut-shamed and like consistently bad-mouthed for everything they do. And like, so why? Like what world is Lana living in that those women have not faced substantive and substantial criticisms about what they do 
And like also the way she puts it, like, you know, wearing no clothes and fucking and cheating is there like what they sing about is bad or being mm. embodied and empowered by their sexuality. Obviously not cheating, right? But their sexuality is like a bad thing because it's not the thing that she does. Yeah. Why? And then number two, I do love her humble brag of being like, I'm just a glamorous person. Yeah. Now, can we can we get over humble brags in 2020? Please, guys. If you want to brag, just brag. Just brag. Just say like... Just do it. Yes, I'm, I'm a hottie. Uh, I'm such a hottie. I just am like super passive in my life and it's not my <laughs> fault. But like... <laughs> I think people got real up in arms with her like, there needs to be a place in feminism for me, a delicate flower white, white woman. White. White, white. Because <laughs> that's what it feels right, right? So I think, like, um, just just a point of contextualization so people don't think that I'm just, like, hating on, on, on white women is that delicacy has often been used in opposition to women of colour, yeah. right? Women of colour are always seen as very strong. For some women of colour, there's a perception that they're more masculine almost, hypersexualized, and almost scary, which is why um, the Republicans for eight years called Michelle Obama a man because that black femininity has never been seen as delicate and soft, but always sort of strong and hard. So it's easy to read into it, like a problematic undertone of delicate could have meant or could be implied to mean white. I don't, Mm. I'm not going to cast aspersions on Lana because she may have meant that, she may not have, but that like, delineation is clear and is very clear for women of color because it's something that's happened and been used against women of color consistently as to why they can take abuse and handle with all the bullshit because they're strong, whereas white women are very delicate and fragile and need to be protected. Mm. So it's very weird to be like, there needs to be a place in feminism for delicate women (laughs) like me when feminism is a place for all women, women. delicate, not delicate. You know. This also just feels so. a little bit like she's like she's like building some kind of like straw man to try and and beat on. Yeah, it's like you know now that everyone else has at number ones, can we please like just admit it's that my I'm turn fine? Now. And it's like, <laughs> oh yeah, after Beyonce finally had a number one hit, talking about how uh, her husband was cheating on her. Um, Yes, now now that that's happened, Lana, now we can talk about you. Sorry. Sorry, the world. Now we can talk about you, Lana. How <laughs> bad for focusing on literally anyone else, Lana. Yeah. How bad. How bad. And as though she's like, and the way she pits like strong women against delicate women, I was like, what are you Passive, talking about? Passive, subservient women. Um, but that's, that's something that reoccurs a lot in, in Lana's... Um, Music is this idea of being sort of the abused woman, the woman who has these like hangs out with toxic men who are into drugs and like ignoring her and she's just so in love with them. And I think there is something quite toxic about it. Like I I do like a lot of her music and particularly her first album I thought was like really interesting and fresh, but it, it it gets a bit old when you're just like... And then he ignored me for the whole night. You know, I don't know. That's not a real song. I'm just. (laughs) 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 
<laughs> you've done anything because they've told me that I was doing a song and I'd be like probably <laughs> um, um, yeah but I think it's also it's also weird because I think there's a movement away from like and I don't think it has to do with being submissive right or necessarily passive I think it has to do with like feeling in control of your own life to a degree but also being the kind of persons who who values yourself and doesn't like value your proximity to a man cuz like when you tell me that I'm like but why would you why would you do that why would you hang out with that person yeah you could be hanging out with people who want to hang out with you i like this last bit that she wrote in the in the original um like a tweet or whatever can i read it yes where she's like i'll be detailing some of my feelings in my next two books of poetry (laughs) i'm still making personal reparations with the process of the books to my choice of native american foundations which i'm very happy about and i'm sure there will be tinges of what i've been pondering in my new album that comes out september 5th like imagine humble brag (laughs) humble brag but also it just feels like she created a lot of this like drama and yeah why did you have to bring those people into it exactly she did it because she knew that that's how she'd get like attention about the book and it was really funny because like everyone just dragged her and some of her responses are also like super cringy Mm. so in like her responses to the to the instagram post she's like to be clear i know hold on one two three four five six W's at the end of I know you love to twist things. I fucking love these singers and know them. Hashtag that is why I mentioned them. I would also like to have some of the same freedom of expression without judgment of hysteria. But those women were also judged. <laughs> like, where does Lana Del Rey live? It sounds nice. And she's like, no, it's just so weird that she wouldn't be like me and all of these women face this thing because we sing about our relationships. Mm-hmm. You know, can this stop? Not like, oh, now that Beyonce sang a song about that, what do you guys have to say now? Because that's what it feels like. It feels like she's like, well, these women have all had a number one thing about what they want. Now it's my turn. It's my turn, society. Where's my number one? Society. For singing about being a passive woman. Wizards. And she's like, can I please go back to. Oh, no, wait. That was actually a quote. For from from yeah, the, I think yeah, I think you need to you need to read her response next up. So then she she does oh she has because there was like a lot of backlash and she got dragged all over Twitter and Instagram just everywhere people were showing her flames. Yeah. So she has a couple of final notes on my controversial post. That's not controversial at all. I don't think you get to decide that, Lana. Despite the feedback I've heard from several people that I mentioned in a complimentary way, okay, whether it be Ariana or Doja Cat, I want to say that I remain firm in my clarity and stance and that what I was writing about was the importance of self-advocacy for the more delicate, delicate and often dismissed softer female personality. And there has to be room for that type of, for that type in what will inevitably become a new slash third wave of feminism that is rapidly approaching. Watch. Also, can we just talk about how she called a new wave of fem- fem- feminism the third wave? It's very... We've been in third wave feminism. Where is she? Where is she? Huh? Third wave was fucking riot girl, bro. And I mean, where is she? And how does she not at least know? It's the third wave. 
Yeah, bro. We're on the fourth wave already. We're waiting on the fifth one. Already we're at number four. Bro. Hey. Lana. Lana. Perhaps I could have given more context to my post by mentioning the title of the second book that would be out next March called <laughs> Behind the Iron Gates, Insights from an Institution. I've... She's really just pushing this book hard. No, dude, it's because, but it's because she's got this girl interrupted fantasy, right? She wants to be. Yeah. She's quite delicate and unhinged, and uh, she uh, gets involved with like crappy men who do drugs and like are abusive towards her, and that's why she's so very fucked up. She's very rich, but she's very fucked up. Okay. Yeah. It's just, but also it's just, it's just that like how hard she's pushing her book, like. As soon as I read that line, I was like, oh, she just did this mm. for the cloud. She wants people to be talking about the fact that she has a book coming out because she wants the book to do well. And I guess you couldn't just trust that as Lana Del Rey with a strong following that people would just buy her book. Um, yeah. Anyway, so then she's like, I'm sorry that folks who I can only assume are super Trump Pence supporters or hyper liberals or flip flopping headline grabbing critics that can't read and want to make it into a race war. When in fact, the issue was with female critics and female alternative artists who are disassociated from their own fragility and sexuality and berate more sexually liberated artists like myself and the woman I mentioned. Okay, Lana, why are you putting women against each other again? Number one. Yeah. And number two, it's very obvious that she like put herself in opposition to the woman she mentioned. She wasn't like me, like you said, she wasn't like me and these women have these experiences. Yeah. It's, oh, these women were allowed to sing about what they want. When is it my turn, society? Yeah. Society, when is it my turn to sing about what I want without criticism? Because now that you've allowed the black women to say what they want to say, what about me? (laughs) Exactly. It's my turn now. (laughs) (laughs) And then being like, it's clear that only Trump supporters or hyper liberals are commenting and not people with like legitimate criticisms. Those middle what people, she said. those people on the fence, they're the ones that she's after as fans. They're, they're good kinds of people, eh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but in truth, making it about race says so much more about you than it does about me. It's the, little, it's the literal, if you bring mm. up race, you're the racist. <laughs> it's the, you, who, whoever smelt it, dealt it, of criticisms. <laughs> Yo. You want the drama. You don't want to believe that a woman could be beautiful, strong, and fragile at the same time, loving and all-inclusive by making personal reparations simply for the joy of doing it. What does that mean? Just stop there. Just stop. I don't understand that sentence. You don't want to believe that a woman could be beautiful, strong, and fragile at the same time. I don't, I, I think that's sort of a common combination of traits, uh, loving yeah. and all-inclusive. By making personal reparations. What personal reparations? It's because like some of her, the money that she makes go to Native American foundations that she supports. Okay. And then being like, I'm doing it for the joy of it, but I'll consistently mention it twice. I'll mention it every time. But just to mention that I'm doing it because I like it and not because I have to. Oh, man. Same as 10 years ago when a million think pieces came out about me feigning emotional fragility or lying about coming from no money when that was the truth. My aim and my message are clear, that I have control over my own story. 
If the women I mentioned don't want to be associated with associated with me, that's absolutely fine by me. I mean, look, you, like why? But you also never associated yourself with them. You pitted yourself against them. Against them. Yeah. People like to do this when you just read the words they wrote and they're like, oh no, but that's not how I meant it. And you're like... But then why did you write it and why did you screenshot that for your Instagram? Exactly. You should have then gotten maybe... You, you should have <laughs> chatted with your publicist, Lana. Maybe like hire an editor. There are loads of them around. If you have a book, I'm sure an editor could have done it for you. You have a book. You're a poetry. Bruh. You know, you don't get a lot of words and poems. Hey? You have to choose them very carefully. <laughs> exactly you don't just show up and go hello i want to publish this and then they look at the front page and go okay we're just gonna publish it no one is gonna look at it we're not gonna do any further drafts of just there's no such thing as an editor i i wrote here what a lockdown disaster clot chasing in lockdown <laughs> shame man i think a lot of people just have way too much time to think and then they also just want to say stuff. I had this the other night. I had a bit of a Lana moment where I was like starting to type some tweets and then and then you're just like, I actually have nothing to say. I'm just going <laughs> to say something because I feel like I should. I haven't said something in a while. <laughs> and then you go through your library of things that you could be upset about or have to say and... I don't you know, know, it just feels like grabbing it. Add to the discourse. Add to the discourse. She hadn't added to the discourse for a while. And she had a book of poetry coming out that she had to promote. So She had to push know. it. So time for a hot take that literally, literally no one asked for. Nobody asked for that hot take. <sighs> no one. And it's I'm, bad form. Don't put yourself against women, especially women of color. Don't Don't pretend like they haven't gotten... Um, a lot of hate and criticism and backlash and pushback for the work they've done when like they very obviously have and like don't put yourself against other women unnecessarily like it's cool if you want to be like a delicate soft woman be a delicate soft woman live your best life yeah but like I, I saw some you know some good tweets here Boycott Camille said, Lana blatantly ignoring the criticism Beyonce, Nikki, and other black women have received and continue to for being confident in their sexuality doesn't sit right with me. Commercial success hasn't made them exempt from mm -hmm. misogynistic attacks masked as constructive criticism. Mm -hmm. And then Sean Fay says, I think Lana's post would have been fine if she hadn't compared herself to a group of mostly black women with a clear tone that she thinks she's been treated worse by the media when that's observably untrue. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really, I think for someone who's raising money for, for indigenous cultures, it's, um, it's a little bit blind. It is. But I think it's also that thing of like, oh, but I did X good things. Therefore, I can never do a bad thing. Yeah. I'm a I, good I, guy. Yes, I'm a good guy. Here are all my good guy points. Therefore, it is impossible for me to have ever done anything else wrong. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I got a shout out to Vulture and Enemy for helping me find this information mm. on both my stories. It was a vibe. Nice. Um, and I think that is it. These yeah. celebrities just out here being problematic unnecessarily when literally no one asked them. Worried about Lana, actually. I wonder if she's okay. Maybe she's in an she's abusive relationship right now. <laughs> Maybe she's... <laughs> 
Maybe, no, no, nothing maybe to is. laugh about. But I mean, you know, it's it, not. Is, it does sound like maybe it, it's like a bit of a cry for help. I mean, it anyway. might be a cry for help, but I think it's also, I think it definitely just, because she consistently mentioned her books of poetry and her music, it very much feels like, I'm doing this thing. How do mm. I get as many people as possible to talk about it and to tweet about it as possible, other than to just cause a little bit of chaos? Just sprinkle yeah. a little bit of chaos into the world. When everybody's at home... And we don't have anything better to do. Everybody's so looking at their like, screens. Oh, Lana did a thing. Okay. I got like 60 hours of work to do. I didn't <laughs> got time to deal with Lana. Uh, yeah. No, yeah. so that's, um, that's our super fun ragging on celebrities episode for you guys. Boop, boop. Thank um, you so much for listening in. I hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, Please. we're still trying to get our... our um, a groove back, I guess, uh, <laughs> trying to, to recover from the hellfire that is humanity. Sure, dude, the news is just terrible every day these days, right? Like, I know it's always been bad, but it feels like it's never been this bad. Yes, it does feel that way. Um, there is a very horrifying website called Is 2020 Over Now? And <laughs> whenever something wild happens, they update it. Yeah. <laughs> and one of the updates was like, Ebola is back in Central Africa. Woo! After no cases for two years. And I was like, cool. We're this close to some kind of like horrible coronavirus, Ebola, like super disaster yeah. illness. Uh, so I'm just... And then I saw that like Iran has issued an arrest warrant for Donald Trump. And I was what? like, cool, I guess World War III is back on again. Oh, shit, dude. I, I had a literal so, dream this week that I've never had before, right? So my anxiety dreams are usually like all my teeth fall out or I have a exam of a course that I didn't know I was enrolled in. I'm like back in high school and they're like, oh, yeah, you've got math too now. And I'm like, I don't do math too. And they're like, well, you're enrolled for it. If you don't finish the exam, you fail the year. I've started having dreams where it's like, holy shit, grab what you can. We need to get out of here. And running through my house, trying to grab things to get out of the situation, like in a war-torn country, oh. like that kind of panic. Like, what do you grab? The cat, obviously. My laptop. Obviously the cats. Yeah. What else is there? Ben. <laughs> and also, you can't really fly with the cats, can you? They're not going to let you fly out to, I don't know, where's the, where's the safest place we, we can imagine being? Freaking Denmark. Korea. Without uh, Korea, South Korea. Coming for your baby. Yeah. Anxiety dreams. So yeah. <laughs> we found the next. We we, yeah. <laughs> we found the topic <laughs> for for our next episode. Anxiety. Anxiety. No, we've done too many episodes <laughs> about anxiety. Dimple. We can't just be the one trick pony. We've only done two. We we, we haven't done a uh, bad anxiety three. Tokyo Drift. <laughs> <laughs> no, we'll come up with a good My idea for next week's episode. Yeah, she's Wait, being hold on. silly. I'm really having silly fun the convention. Yes. <laughs> Bad anxiety three. A good day to anxiety hard. Wait, is that it? It's. I think you've already hard, made that, die that joke. Die hard with a vengeance. 
Anxiety with a vengeance. Anxiety hard with a vengeance. Anxiety <laughs> hard. Okay. As always, I am the ridiculously silly Dimpamueti, and I am here with my bestie, D. What? My name isn't D. That's your name, Dikis. No, but I'm, I'm saying that I'm here with D, and then you have to like the, give yourself some, okay. some compliments. Uh, I am um, just regular human, Nana Fenter Rausch. Very talented doctor, uh, Nana Fenter Rausch. Moderately gifted. How can you have a whole PhD and still be talking about yourself like this? 2020 is not the <sighs> year for humble brags. Just brag, Nana. Brag. We just said it. Getting a PhD is not that hard. Lots of people get them. Dumb people get them, even. <laughs> um, no, I'm just joking. I'm, I'm, I'm not humble bragging. I'm just in one of those moods, you know? Silly buggers. Um, but yes, yeah, it is us. And um, yeah, keep well until next time we check back in. Um, yeah, be kind. Be compassionate. Wash your fucking hands. Always wear a mask. Please don't be one of those dicks that's like, oh my God, wake up, sheeple. Like, masks don't help. Yeah, don't do that. Like, masks do help. They it's do. scientifically yeah. proven. Wear your mask. Mm-hmm. Care about other people. It's going to be tough, especially in South Africa yeah. for the next few weeks as we're entering our um, peak. peak. And um, hospitals in the Eastern Cape are already collapsing. So, yeah. Let's not do it. Uh, let's not do it. Be kind, be compassionate, wash your hands, wear a mask, and don't be a dick, y'all. We love you. Bye.